The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit is made possible in part by Samaritas, the state's largest private foster care and adoption agency. However, Samaritas also provides a number of other services around the state. They are one of the largest refugee resettlement agencies in Michigan. They serve homeless families, persons with disabilities, abused and trafficked women. They also provide market rate and affordable housing for seniors and HUD housing for families and also have skilled nursing, memory care and rehab communities in Grand Rapids, Cadillac and Saginaw. Samaritas, we thank them for their support here at Deadline Detroit. Good day to all. Happy Tuesday. Welcome to the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. Coming up on the program today, we're going to spend a little time talking about school financing here in Michigan. Part of my series I've been doing, taking a look at why we are where we are. Why we can't have nice things in Michigan. That's what I should just be naming this whole segment. Maybe I will going forward. But that's coming up today as a discussion on school finance. My guest is going to be Tom Watkins, former superintendent of education here in Michigan. This is something he's been warning about for a long, long time. When I say a long time, at least 15 years, he warned us that we're going to be where we are when it comes to schools here in the state. So stick around for that conversation on the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. Craig Folly Show is made possible in part by Deadline Detroit, one-stop shopping for all your news. Also, home to Deadline Detroit TV, which includes The Zip, a weekly wrap-up of the week's news with some humor. Deadline Detroit, one-stop shopping for all your news. This is the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. Thank you very much for being with me today. And uh, one of the things I've been doing over the last couple of weeks is trying to give some context to all of you about why we are where we are when it comes to financing of just about everything here in the state, whether it is roads. We talked a bit about that. Whether it is municipal finance, we have spoken quite a bit about that issue over the last couple of weeks. But I also want to talk about schools. And, and what sort of led me to this is the fact that my hometown of Gross Point has just gone through a bruising battle over which schools to close because of declining enrollment, declining dollars that have been coming to the district, even though a number of citizens in the community would gladly pay more to keep everything open, that is not an option that is allowed under state law at this point in time. And this is creating a situation for even the wealthiest school districts. And of course, we also have the situation in Benton Harbor, in which a high school, the only high school in that community may close and students may be shipped to another district, despite the fact that residents in that community don't want it. The school board doesn't necessarily want it. So what do you what does this mean when we see both uh, well-to-do districts and those that are less fortunate having the same sorts of financial problems? Well, it suggests to me that maybe, just maybe, the structural basis of our funding system is flawed. Now, obviously, we've been operating under the system since back in 1994 when Proposal A went through. We spent a lot of time talking about that. But to give folks a sense as to how significant a problem we have created for ourselves, I figured I would talk to somebody uh, that really has been uh, blowing the alarm on this for as many years as I've known him. His name is Tom Watkins. And of course, he spent a lot of time as the Michigan school superintendent here during the Granholm administration. He's been on the program on a number of occasions to talk about various different issues. But Tom, welcome back. It's always a pleasure. It's great to be with you, Craig. And uh, nothing is more important to our state and getting our system of education for all of our children right. 
Well, and this is, again, like I said in the intro there, I, I think I, I put it fairly. This is not something that is just limited to cities like Detroit and Benton Harbor that have been under state oversight for all these years and or have emerged from state oversight recently. But this is something that Bloomfield Hills has been facing. Gross Point has been dealing with these sorts of issues. Every school district in the state has been faced with this choice of either opening up your borders uh, to students from other districts or downsizing. I mean, those seem to be the only two options that really are out there right now. Yeah, it really is the educational Me Too movement uh, that has come uh, about. Uh, schools, doesn't matter if you're in a wealthier school district or a poor school district, are facing structural problems with uh, the way that our schools have been uh, funded since uh, Proposal A went into effect uh, in 1994. Uh, there was a crisis that precipitated that change when Kalkaska, uh, school district up in northern Michigan uh, tried to pass a millage for its schools. The voters turned them down, and the school board had two choices either cut vital educational programs for children or to end the school year early. They ended the school year two months early, and it set off a national alarm and uh, really was quite an embarrassment uh, for the state. So we had proposed ways since 1994 of switching the way that we fund our schools. But we need Proposal A-plus today to really assure that we are providing the education our children need and deserve in order to function and to survive in a hyper-competitive, disruptive knowledge economy where ideas and jobs can and do move around the world effortlessly. Our kids just are not competing against the school district next door, the state next door. They have to be uh, compete and collaborate with children around the world and we're just not providing the investment in our educational system uh, to enable our children to thrive. Well, and, and Tom, I mean, I think it's important that we put this in perspective. When you actually look at, uh, you know, numbers, uh, apples and oranges compared to 1994 and now, so we're, we're talking 25 years of Proposal A, uh, investment in education in Michigan has actually gone down when you factor in inflation over the course of that 25-year period. Um, and and so people may see a dollar amount that's going up, but it has not been keeping up with inflation, especially in the recessionary years that we had here in the state. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that uh, that uh, we have uh, an MSU report came out a couple months back that showed, as you pointed out, uh, that we're really disinvesting in, in education and uh, where you can play. Uh, games with funding and show that uh, there's been steady increase. When you take a look uh, at our fixed costs for most school districts with health care, pension costs, infrastructure costs, and, and the like, uh, the fact is, is that the numbers are actually going down. Um, and we need to massively invest not only in, in uh, programs and services and curriculum and like, but uh, the inequities uh, in our schools like Detroit, and Benton Harbor, and Saginaw, and some of the other urban and rural school districts uh, where the kids are expected to run the educational 100-yard dash, but poor children uh, have to start 100 yards even beyond the uh, or prior to the starting line, which is really a great disadvantage to our students in poor districts across the state. 
Well, you know, Tom, it's interesting too when you when you look at at what happened here in Michigan. Obviously, uh, they changed to this um, per pupil foundation grant as part of Proposal A. Uh, the money follows the student. This also came at about the same time that the charter school movement was starting to get some legs in the state. Uh, during the Engler administration. And we've seen a number of communities, especially, uh, you know, underserved communities like Detroit, see a lot of their students go, not necessarily to a neighboring district. That didn't happen until schools of choice went in, uh, but to charter schools that then take that money uh, that normally would have gone towards that public education system, stranding them with a lot of uh, a lot of infrastructure needs and no funding to actually deal with them. How significant a change was that when it comes to what local districts have been able to do? Well, you know, that old song, the need bone is connected to uh, our policy. You've hit uh, the nail on the head, uh, Greg, when you pointed out. We had the proposal way going, went into effect in 1994, limiting the local ability to raise funds. And then we passed almost that same year the chartered school legislation that uh, had students choosing chartered schools uh, and later schools of choice. Uh, moving out of the district. And if you think about it, every child in Michigan uh, is worth about $10,000 when you put the uh, state, local, uh, and federal money in, in. So every 100 children that leave a school district, $1 million walks out the door. The fixed cost of providing that education, providing the heat, uh, the, the cooling, everything else remain the same, um, but your dollars go down. And Imagine a school district like Detroit that at one time was 150, 180,000 students is probably looking at what, 40,000 students today. Um, and some of the uh, classrooms and buildings we have children in there are just totally unacceptable. And yet there are very limited ways uh, that Detroit and Abenton Harbor can raise uh, the resources that are needed in order to uh, provide the education uh, our children deserve. Well, it almost seems like then a foregone conclusion that that, you know, a, a district that's facing that type of a situation, loss of a number of students, uh, you're closing down facilities. It, it makes it look as if the school district is simply failing from a budgetary standpoint, that they're not able to manage their finances correctly, which leads them to then, you know, financial manager systems. And we know how successful that was. And I'm being sarcastic in Detroit. Um, the state basically increased the deficit without fixing the educational system and we have set these districts up for failure. It's a really is and an education. Blamed, blamed it on them. It's an educational death spiral that we have. We have policies in this state that are about power, control, politics, ideology, and adults, as opposed to TLC, teaching, learning, and children. And, and if we get people of goodwill from the left and right to come together and say, what do we need to do? to prepare our children for their future, not our past. How do we need to structure and invest in order to make that happen? Um, as pessimistic as, as you could be in this conversation, I'm really probably more optimistic than I've been in over two decades. Uh, there's an organization that's pulled together from business and labor called Launch Michigan, uh, for the Michigan uh, business leaders, the chamber, the MEA, the um, AFT, uh, the David Hecker, the president of the association, for the AFT is, uh, is a tremendous labor leader, smart, thoughtful, and focused on trying to do the right thing. The problem is, is uh, they're supposed to come forth with a report, a kind of shared vision, 
and common agenda of what we can do from a policy and financial standpoint to address these needs. That was supposed to be done uh, before Governor Whitmer uh, took over, um, but it's been delayed and it's not expected to be done until the end of this calendar year. Uh, all the while, children in Benton Harbor um, are feeling the effects of adults that have not stepped up to the plate uh, and put together a sensible structural system that, uh, that gives them what they need and what our constitution uh, demands that we provide. Well, uh, Tom Watkins is my guest right now. Again, he is the former superintendent of schools here in the state of Michigan, a position he served in uh, in the Granholm administration. Uh, but, but Tom, you know, when you take a look at the situation, we are sort of handcuffed. Like I said, we witnessed this uh, neighbors fighting neighbors in Gross Point over potential school closures, uh, getting very upset about this kind of thing and, and wondering why we are in this type of a situation. And... Uh, you, you talk about people coming together with some new policy recommendations and feeling optimistic. But, you know, this is a 25-year experiment we've done here in the state of Michigan, and we've seen the results of this. They are pretty darn clear, yet there are still people that are sticking to their guns that, you know, more competition, a better training for teachers is all we need. We can get by on the resources that we have. Has that been proven false? It has been proven false. I mean, that's why we need a focus that is uh, starts with the education uh, the educators and the students in mind, uh, that has to be data-driven and evidence-based, that it can't be on what I think I believe and I want because of my uh, political ideology. Uh, facts do matter. Uh, data does matter. Um, and when we focus on what works, uh, and there's examples around the country uh, where people have come together and their educational system are thriving, uh, where we have been dysfunctional, as adults, as policymakers, uh, we see the results, and the results are bad things happening for our children. And for those that maybe listen to the show, so, well, that's Benton Harbor, that's Detroit, um, you know, it doesn't impact me. As you pointed out, Greg, and, and you're looking at in your home community, when Gross Points have a problem, Michigan has a problem. When Benton Harbor has a problem, all of us have a problem. These children that are not getting the education uh, that they need and deserve aren't going to disappear. They're coming to you as a potential employee, a potential customer, or perhaps coming to you with some nefarious ideas in mind. Um, they don't disappear simply because we lack the responsibility and the ability to do right by our children and give them the education that will help them be able to collaborate and compete in this very tough world that uh, that they're going to enter. Well, uh, Tom Watkins, again, is my guest, former superintendent of uh, schools here in the state of Michigan. And, you know, one of the things I've been reading through the last couple of days as I was getting ready to do this is a report you wrote back in 19 or 2004, excuse me, which is basically the 10 year anniversary of Proposal A, in which you basically said this was going to happen, um, asking the State Board of Education at that time to take a look at some potential reforms to Proposal A, suggesting that there are going to be significant structural deficits. These are not deficits as a result of any one time thing. These are built in, uh, that we're going to decimate a number of districts. We've seen that happen. Uh, you talked about proposal A+. How could this be tweaked in a way that, one, reduces the discrepancy between the highest spending districts and the lowest, uh, and two, you know, it doesn't add to people's, you know, bottom line the way that uh, maybe what we're talking about with a gas tax does. Is it doable? 
it is doable, but it really takes people of goodwill to understand that uh, the problem that's faced in our state is going to impact us all. Um, it's the old pay me now or pay me later. Uh, we can either get serious about the structural reforms that are necessary and what that's going to require. It's kind of like the old Miller-like commercial, Craig, uh, tastes great, less filling. It's going to require uh, more resources, and it's going to require some reform and restructuring of the way that we do business. I mean, understanding that we've had some significant demographic changes. Uh, since the time when I served as state superintendent, we have 200,000 at least fewer students in our state than we did back then. Um, and so we built a system uh, under one set of rules and have changed the rules and are wondering why we're running in, into a problem. Uh, we need to understand that the viability of our society, the strength of our economy, the quality of our lives are inextricably linked to the quality of our local school. Um, and if we don't get it right, we're all going to suffer. Well, you know, one of the things that I've heard people talking about uh, as as we watch this debate unfold in my hometown is a number of people saying we, we should go to a system that will allow us to raise the revenue we want in our own community. Um, you obviously want to free up some of those shackles that are on these communities and districts to to raise money for the operation of their schools. But is there a way that that could be done that would be equitable? Because you, it seems to me that would just create the situation we had long ago when there were even wider discrepancies between the richest and poorest districts. And you're absolutely right. I mean, uh, on one hand, we need to do that in order to enable people to invest in, in their communities. Um, but we also have to have some safety valves that are put into place where you have communities uh, that would have to tax themselves on the maximum level in order to generate minimum revenue because they're in a poor area where their property is not as valuable as uh, perhaps it may be in other places. So we need to understand and, and, and really come to grips that it costs more um, to educate children that have been disenfranchised and, and not given the foundation that they need. Um, Governor Whitmer has done a number of things in her um, budget, which is being debated uh, in, the, in the Republican-controlled legislature. It's just a fact, uh, haven't been willing to put forth uh, the resources that are necessary. And I think there's a number of things in her budget uh, which understand that education and workforce development is an investment in our collective future. It's uh, something that all of us will benefit from um, if we truly do what is right by our children. Well, you know, Tom Watkins, again, is my guest. And and Tom, I mean, one of the problems we have, too, is there's sort of this provincialism when it comes to schools. Our district is our district. We're proud of it. We love it. Um, don't touch ours to to help somebody else's. When I lived in Charlotte, North Carolina, it was a countywide system. Uh, every community in the county was part of one school system. The resources were were basically distributed uh, evenly across the board, regardless of what neighborhood you lived in. And it seemed that the one thing that it did do was get everybody in that county on the same page when it came to school politics. They paid a lot of attention. Everybody knew what the school board was up to. It was the big news every time they made had a meeting on anything. Is there the possibility that some sort of regional system or regional, at least better regional cooperation might might improve some of the statistics across the board? Well, clearly, when we come together, good things happen. Uh, that's very difficult to do because of our history of local control and local school districts and municipalities and townships and the like that, that we have. Um, but the, the, the point is, is we need to ask ourselves, Greg, I think a fundamental question 
if we found this place called Michigan um, with 10 million people and 1.5 million K-12 school children, and we had about 18 to $20 billion, that's the amount of money that we, we invest in public education, wash up on our shore every year, would we create the system that we currently have? And I think any thoughtful, sensible person would say, no, this is dysfunctional. Um, you know, there's a Stein's law of economics that goes like this. Things that cannot go on forever won't. And I think that our education policy, education funding of our schools uh, follows Stein's economic law. Things that cannot go on forever won't, and in this case, shouldn't. If we really want um, to, to, to do what is right uh, for the right moral reasons and also for our own economic self-interest, well, we you know, cities, states that get their education system right. I mean, you just have need to look at it. Uh, talk to Lou Glazer with Michigan Futures uh, and others. We'll show you very clear data that when we invest in workforce development, education, uh, and our people. Uh, good things happen. And when we don't, you see what, what is happening today. Well, what do you think you mentioned at the very beginning of this, that you were feeling optimistic for the first time in a long time about what could happen here when it comes to school funding and, and fixing some of the inequities that are there. And, and frankly, making sure we're just keeping up with inflation, frankly, when it comes to our education spending, uh, what is giving you that optimism? Is it something like, you know, business leaders getting serious about this and, and putting pressure on legislators to say, Look, you know, we're we're just not even because Michigan's what forty ninth right now, and it's, 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 it's in the last bottom third. The, the dead last when it comes to the growth in investment in education. Yeah, it, what gives me optimism is part of my pessimism as well. Is is that when you're on the bottom of the pool, there's only one place to go, um, and that is up. Uh, the business leaders from Michigan uh, and others uh, that have pushed policies that have been detrimental uh, over the last decade or more uh, in terms of tax reductions and the like uh, are coming, I think, around uh, to the census and saying we need investment. And it really is that trade-off, as I talked about before on the Miller Lite, and that uh, it can't be just give me more money without change. And it can't be change without the investments that'll make us strong as the 21st century evolves. Um, it has to be a balance of, of both. It can't be, you know, that seesaw where it's just about cutting or, or reforming without investing simultaneously. There needs to be a balance of reform, uh, structural changes that are made, uh, and strategic investments uh, for our future. Well, Tom, you know, I, I won't keep you for too long, but I do appreciate your time. And frankly, you know, watching this as I have over the last, uh, you know, and I was I was actually covering the legislature when proposal A went through. And this last 25 years, when you're looking at this, it's almost as if the state has been managing a decline. Like, OK, we're, we're just going to be smaller. We're going to have to consolidate. We're going to have to close facilities. There doesn't seem to be any strategy for growth going forward. Uh, that, that seems to be one of the big problems. There's no forward thinking about what we can do to once again be an attractive place. Uh, this is about more than just education, but it certainly seems as if we are just resigning ourselves to the fact that this is the new normal. Uh, do you accept that? No, I don't. I mean, Michigan can and should be the brain bank of the world where everybody wishes to come uh, for deposits and withdrawals. Uh, we have 
uh, the structure we have, the capability we have, uh, the leadership. Um, if we can come together, uh, that really can make us uh, the envy uh, of the world. When we invest uh, strategically, when we invest thoughtfully, uh, particularly in our people, as I've pointed out time and time again, um, it, it benefits us all. So it's not a matter of those kids over there, whether those kids are in Grosse Point, Northville, Okemos, Benton Harbor, Saginaw, or Detroit. These are all of our children, and it's our community. Uh, we got to get our act together. Well, what's one immediate change you would like to see? Well, I think there's a couple of things that we can do, and a lot of it is in Governor Whitmer's budget. Uh, that is uh, targeting uh, where uh, students have higher needs, that they get higher resources. We know the children that come from uh, poverty situations uh, and the like are going to need additions uh, to their education, uh, special education, where we have a number of special education, oftentimes in communities uh, of color and uh, poverty uh, districts, both urban and rural, uh, that it costs more to educate those children. We have, again, a moral and a legal obligation to do so. So targeting additional resources for children in need, uh, the continual focus on early childhood education. 85% of the human brain develops in the first five years of life. And as my daughter, when she was about nine years old, said to me, duh, dad, how come school doesn't start until you're five or six years old, if that's true? Um, young kids get it. There are things that data and research show us that, uh, that will pay dividends. Um, the Ed Trust Midwest has laid out a number of strategies, a number of which have been incorporated into Governor Whitmer's uh, budget. We just now need the leadership of a shared vision, a common agenda that's gonna lift up our schools, our teachers, and most importantly, uh, our collective future, and that is our young people. Well, I think that's a good place to end. Uh, Tom Watkins, uh, we'll be following up with you as some of these budgetary things go through uh, and we see whether or not um, some of those proposals in that budget uh, make it through. I think it's a big deal, especially this thing we're talking about, sending a larger increase to some of the uh, lowest funded districts and and uh, more modest increases to those that actually have a tax base that supports it a little bit more actively, I think is a way to put it. Uh, we do appreciate your time, sir. Thank you. Thank you for caring. Thank you, Craig. Tom Watkins is the former superintendent of schools here in Michigan. He also, of course, has spent much of his career dealing with the mental health systems here in Wayne County and also has been spending a lot of time in China observing their education system and also looking at some of the cultural divides that we have between our two countries and working to work those out. So we always appreciate having him on the program. Thanks for checking out the Craig Folly Show on this Tuesday. Coming up tomorrow, hopefully, fingers crossed, my friend Nick Schreck will join us. we got to talk about some environmental issues. Are we doing something, finally doing something about Asian carp? Also, we'll talk about water levels, what that means, and uh, so much more. Nick, always a great guest, so hopefully we'll have him working on that right now for tomorrow's program. Looking forward to that. Send me an email, thecraigfollyshow at gmail.com. It's easy to find me. Don't worry about that. You can also find me on social media. Look for me on Twitter, on Snapchat, Facebook, LinkedIn. I think I forgot Instagram. I'm on there too. So you can send me messages any way you want. And uh, give me some ideas on what you'd like to hear. In the meantime, if you like this show, 
Share it with people. Let them know we're out here. If you're a business and you this is the kind of conversation you would like to be a part of or sponsor or have your name attached to, let me know. That email address, thecraigfollyshow at gmail.com. We can accommodate you, and uh, it's usually relatively inexpensive compared to what else you get out there. I promise you that. But you're going to get a very educated audience because you guys are smart. Thanks for listening today. We'll be back tomorrow. See you then. The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit is made possible in part by Mad Dog Professional Services. Mad Dog Professional Services focuses on putting their clients on the leading edge of technology faster than thought possible to capture new revenue streams. That's Mad Dog Professional Services. Hey there, my name is Seth Ressler. Hi everyone, it's Becky Scarsello. I am new to the Detroit area. And I've been here my whole life. So we started a podcast together. It's called The D Brief. Detroit's arts and entertainment podcast. We cover concerts, comedy, plays, food, drink, all kinds of stuff. All the cool events around town, things to do, and the people that are doing them. Can we talk about some of the people we've had as guests on this podcast? Hey, this is Mark Kurlianchik, the restaurant critic for the Detroit Free Press. Hi, I'm Ian DeLisi, and I host Essential Music on 1019 WDET. Hi, this is Mark Ridley of Mark Ridley's Comedy Castle. Hey, this is Kate Williams, executive chef of Lady of the House. Hey, this is Meltdown from WRAF in Detroit. This is Josh Mallerman, author of Bird Box. This is Carmen Curator of film at the Detroit Institute of Arts. President and founder of Valentine Distilling Company. The general manager of innovation experiences for the Henry Ford. Arts and entertainment editor at the Detroit Free Press. Michigan Science Center. Arts Beats and Detroit. If you like going out in the city of Detroit, you're going to like this podcast. The Debrief Podcast. We like to say Detroit's moving. Keep up. The Debrief. Your guide to Detroit's arts and entertainment scene.